Quasa Dibug, Comment les affaires? I'm Herman Fusilier. This is Cajun and Creole Talk. Welcome to Cajun and Creole Talk. Most Saturday mornings, you'll find Cos Fontenot singing at the traditional Cajun jam session at the Savoy Music Center in Eunice, Louisiana. Kaz is not only a talented singer, but he's also a master of the Cajun accordion and fiddle. Kaz has lived the hard times and heartache that he plays and sings, but he's rich in friends and fans all over the world. Like Todd Artigo, a DJ with Louisiana Proud radio station, KBON. Kaz Fontenot, to me, is a true Cajun-American original. I can't think of anyone else that could fit the description or any way to describe or compare him with anyone else. Straight Cajun up guy, loves everything about his culture and other people's culture as well. He sings in that old style, high up, like Austin Peake, Adon Hebert. He sings high up like that. He's had health issues his whole life since I've been knowing him in the late 70s. Kaz was supposed to, he had health issues then. He wasn't supposed to live long. And here we are 40 years later. He's supposed to die any day and he's still going strong. He's losing limbs, he's still going strong. He sings with so much passion, he's still going strong. Kaz would outlive all of us. I'm completely convinced that that'll happen. And uh, I look forward to the day whenever Kaz visits me when I'm in the coffin. Kaz Fontenot, a true Cajun American original, and we love him. This is Herman Fusilier. I'm in Eunice, Louisiana this October afternoon with Kaz Fontenot at his home in Eunice. Hello, Kaz. How are you doing these days, my oh, friend? Oh, I'm doing just fine. You've been a busy man. You were at Marc Savoie's, uh, the, the jam session yesterday, and then last weekend at uh, Festival Acadien Creole in, uh, in, in Lafayette. You... Yeah, and then the weekend before that, um, I was at the festival in uh, in rain at the K-Bone Festival. Oh, yeah, that's right. And got up and played with Leroy Thomas and had a blast. So you... I crawled 12 flights of steps to get up there and play with that man on well, my hands and knees because I just lost my other leg and I had one amputated uh, two years ago. So, But it, everything's good. I got the infection out of my body and I'm ready to go. Well, that's what you already touched on it. I was going to have you talk about it a little bit. For a guy that's without both your legs, you don't stop. You still, you go all the time. Oh, no. I, I, I rig my car up. I drive by with my hands. I do everything in my house. I clean my house. I wash my dishes. I do my clothes. I sweep and mop. All in my wheelchair. Wow. Oh. I build a shed on the side of my house in my wheelchair. The only thing I couldn't put was my roof. Uh-huh. Yeah. But all you got to do is want to do it. You can't just sit back and ask somebody else to do it because most people... Ain't like that. They, you know, I don't. I don't depend on nobody if I can help. And, and what does music do for you? Because if there's music, music around, is my you best go. Mu- my best medicine in the whole world. Mm-hmm. You know, I started playing music when I was four years old. My grandmother gave me an old harmonica, and I played that thing probably six years. And then I bought my first harmonica at Savoy's Music Center, where I go at now. 
and I paid three dollars for that harmonica. Mm -hmm. And now they're about sixty bucks. Wow, big difference. Yeah. yeah. And uh, a guy from Hawaii brought me one. He cost $180. I said, man, I can't believe. <laughs> but, you know, just, I'm very blessed that little people from all over the world love me, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I play music not for money. I play because I love doing it. And um, like I said, I started when I was four. You know, I played. Uh, and how old are you now, guys? I'm 64. Okay. So 60 years you've been playing. Yes, sir. Wow. I've been playing 60 years. It was in September. Okay. I tell everybody on my birthday, but it wasn't my birthday because mm -hmm. I had two birthdays. When I, till I was five years old, my birthday was September 27th. But then when we found my birth certificate to go to school, my birthday was September 23rd. So I had <laughs> two birthdays. Well, if I'm five years old up, you know, I, I started... Yeah. On the 23rd, my real birthday. Oh, yeah. So I tell yeah. everybody, I said, my birthday used to be on the 27th. And everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> used to be. <laughs> then I explain it to them. They says, oh, your poor mother. I said, yeah, she raised seven of us. And my father was paralyzed when I was seven years old. And I was the only boy at the house. And uh, I had my two sisters. So my father had went in a nursing home in Crowley. didn't even have a nursing home in Jonas. And my father would cry and cry, he wanted to come home. So we talked to my mother, and my mother changed her job from working days, she went to work nights. And we'd take care of my father. When we'd get home from school, we couldn't go play outside, we'd take care of daddy. I had to do everything for my father, because, you know, the girls couldn't do it. You know, I had to bathe him, I had to wow. wipe him, and yeah. whatever needed to be done, it was done. Y'all were poor, there was no such thing as food stamps. No, there were no food stamps. No government and, help you could get. But we made it, and yeah. we lived in a housing project was called the Acadian Village, mm -hmm. here in Eunice. Mm -hmm. And it was like one big family. My mother would work. She the only time she, day she would get off was on uh, Christmas, and she would. Uh, there was two other ladies that we, we were friends when they had children, but they had to work on Christmas. So my mother, we had a little bitty stove, and you could only put one thing in the oven. Well, she'd use them other two ladies' oven too, and she'd bake in all three ovens and cook, and then she, all them kids would come and eat. And then they'd bring a plate for their mother that night. And they had a black lady that would come and she'd wash dishes. And her name was Lizzie Mae Tyler. She was just like my mother. Well, she would go to a judge's house and wash dishes first. And they would always offer her to eat. And she'd say, oh, no. She says, I'm not hungry. She said, I would never eat there. She said, because I would wait to come eat at Miss Fontenot's. She said, because the judge and them, they had one vegetable, one meat, and it was just like an everyday plate lunch. She said when she would come at my house, she would have a feast. <laughs> and she would iron for, and she would babysit when we was younger. And she would, we would talk, and uh, she was just a wonderful yeah. lady. So y'all didn't have money, but y'all always had something to eat. Huh? Lord have mercy, yeah. That's I ate so. a lot of bologna. <laughs> Still it was hey, food. Hey, but I'll tell you what. It can't go wrong. Now, you mentioned the harmonica, and uh, people know you for, you, you play accordion too and violin, and you, your singing voice, you got that high, lonesome voice, a lot of people call it. So it yes, sir. Um, 
I've been singing probably as long as I can talk. My, uh, I would go, like I said, I'd go to Fred's Lounge, which was my father's, uh, it was his first brother-in-law before he married my mother. And he'd fix me a cherry Coke and I'd go play in the corner with the harmonica. And they'd talk in French and I understood French because when my dad would spank us, he'd give us a, a spanking in French and one in English. <laughs> And every word was a lick. <laughs> like, Chi va jean me fa sa encore. Every word was a lick. Chi va jean me fa sa encore. Mm -hmm. There was eight licks. Yeah, yeah. And then never do at the again. end he would do taton. That means you hear. Mm -hmm. And then he would whip you in English. Mm -hmm. You'll never do that again. <laughs> you hear me? And you understood that you weren't going to do that again, yeah. whatever you've done. He wouldn't give us no bad whipping, but he'd give us a little spanking. Yeah, yeah. but you got the message in French and English. Because he was an old man when I was a little boy. Okay. You know, yeah. He was 51 years old when he had yeah. me, my father. But he he was a good man. He did what he could till he got sick. Was music in your family already? Or how did the... Well, my, my mother's father, her his first cousin played Cajun music. And we would go to a family reunion. All the ladies would go inside the uh, the building, and they had all the cakes and all the food. And they'd say the fatras, that's some trash, <laughs> would go play the music under the tree. But I was right there with them, I guess. I'd tell them, I said, well, I guess I'm a fatra. I'm a trash, too, because I just love my music. I had, when I was a kid, I had one album. And it was uh, Adam A. Bear. Oh, yeah. And I played that thing over and over and over and over again because that was the only record I had. And everybody said, well, why you don't sing like Nate Napshaw? I said, well, I do some of his songs, and a lot of people say I do sound like him. But I said, I learned from Adam A. Bear because that was the only record I had. And I said, they only had two hours of music on Saturday mornings. During the week, they wouldn't play no Cajun music yeah. whatsoever. And I that's said, all you had. that's all we had. Yeah. And my father got paralyzed when I was seven. So we would play the radio, and it was live from his brother-in-law's place. Fred's launching my movie. And he would smile because yeah. it's a brother-in-law. He couldn't even hold a glass of water. I'd have to hold his water for him to drink, and I'd feed him, and which I'd done, and I would do it again. The Mamu two-step would come on, and that was the final song. So I would turn it off because I knew that was the end of our quality time. So till this day, I've never played that song. Touches your heart. Yes, oh. it does. Many of we got real close, closer than anybody else in my family because I talked French and he did. My sisters, they didn't talk French. So I don't know if I should tell this little story, but I'm going to tell it mm -hmm. anyhow. Go ahead. My father got one night, my mother was working, and my two sisters were sleeping. It was about 9.30 at night, and this was in 1966. I just turned 11 years old. And uh, he said, son, would you bring Dad some uh, aspirins and some water? I said, yes, sir. I went and brought them to him, and he, he couldn't keep them up. He just... He couldn't keep it in his stomach. So he said, call your mother and tell her to call the ambulance. I said, okay. So I did. 
And he said, son, he says, I need you to promise me something. I said, what's that, dad? He said, promise me, I don't want, you don't want to wake your sisters up. He said, I want to have a good night's rest for a change. He said, but the angels are calling me. And he said, dad's going to die tonight. I said, okay, dad. He said, but don't tell nobody. He says, uh, that'd be our little secret. I said, okay. So the ambulance come and they took him away. And the next morning was, was Father's Day. We were watching the cartoons, me and my two sisters, and one of them says, well, it's funny Daddy ain't hollered for some water. And I never said nothing. And about five minutes later, one of my uncles come walking up the sidewalk, and they ran back there, and they seen he was gone. And they said, why you didn't tell us? And I said, well, Dad asked me to promise y'all. And I said, that was his last wishes. So uh, I said, he's going to meet Jesus because he told me the angels was calling him, you know. I had a rough time in school over that because I failed the first grade, the second grade, and the third grade. And then after he passed, all my troubles went away, and I'd done fine. Wow. You know, with wow. flying colors, I went through school. I was so blessed that I got to do what I did because, you know, yeah. but it was hard on the child. But you talk about doing good. So many things we can talk about. But I think when I first met you or came across you, you were in Atlanta at the time. That's right. Uh, how'd you end up in Atlanta? And you had a, a was it a meat market or a restaurant? What, well, what you have? thing is, here in Eunice, I had a nightclub. And it was a French nightclub. Blue Goose. Which, which was called the Blue Goose. Mm -hmm. I had some of the best bands in the world to me, you know. I had Jamie Byers I played. I had... Uh, um, it's unbelievable. I had D.L. Menard played. Mm -hmm. I had uh, the Jambalaya, all the guys that played there. Guy from Crowley, I can't think. Gene Savoy. I had uh, Mr. Uh, Felton Lejean. I had uh, Tommy McLean played for my grand opening. Oh, wow. I had Jack Leger in the Cajun Stars. I had uh, a live broadcast for one hour on, on a radio station every Sunday evening. Oh, really? That's K-E-U-N? Yeah, it was okay. on K-U-N, okay. and uh, at first it was uh, Mr. Uh, Sadie Corville mm -hmm. that was doing the broadcast, and then he retired, and uh, Mr. Houston Lejean and Miss Carolyn took over, and they was the ones on the radio. Let the meatball roll. That's right. <laughs> and then um, I had a dance every every Sunday night and I'd probably still be in business if they'd had bottled water but I'd give water away and I had to pay the band and I'd charge a dollar to get in I wouldn't even break even wow. and everybody thought I was making gobs of money mm -hmm. I was just doing it because I love my culture and I love my music and I didn't make no money there but I sure enjoyed myself I had, I had that place for four years and then when the all fell went down I closed it, and I was sitting right on my mother's step. I bought this place in 76 for my mother for $5,000. And I was sitting on the steps, and one of my buddies pulled up in a good time van. He says, I just collected a settlement. He says, let's go to Florida. I said, we're going on vacation. He said, no, we're going to live. I said, okay. And I took two trash bags and put what I had to my name, and I got in that van, and we went. We went to Panama City Beach, Florida. Well, we get there, and we're riding on the beach. We went and looked for a place to stay. 
He says, we're going to enjoy ourselves. He said, I got $8,000. He going to get us a nice apartment. And he said, when the money's going to round out, then we're going to go to work. Mm. I said, sounds good to me. So we're riding on the beach. And there's this couple of gals. And they ain't hardly got no clothes on <laughs> with them G-string. And I told him, I said, pull over. I know that girl. That's, that's Lisa. He said, oh, you don't know that girl. I said, I'm telling you, that's Lisa Vignair. And she's from... Catahoula, Louisiana. He said, oh, you crazy. I said, I'm telling you, I worked with that girl in New Iberia. I recognize her from the back. He says, my God, you must really know her. I said, yeah. <laughs> so we pulled over, and sure enough, it was her and another okay. gal. So I said, well, I, I told her, I said, I need a job. She said, well, I work at a restaurant now. She said, I'll get you a job. The next day, I had a job. I was washing dishes. And the owner come back there, and I had talked to the manager. The owner come back there, he says, you from Louisiana? I said, yeah. She said, take that old dirty apron off and wash your hands good. I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, no. He said, I know you know how to cook. He said, uh, you don't need to be washing no damn dishes. I said, okay. Two weeks later, I was kitchen managing now. I'll show them how to cook gumbo. and wow. cook. Every day at lunch, I had a lunch buffet, and I had a spread of Cajun food, and they mm -hmm. were coming from miles around. That big county chefs associated invited me to their meeting, and I went. And they said, well, tonight we have Mr. Fontenot here, and uh, we're going to exchange recipes. And I, I pushed my chair back, and I stood up, and I says, I really thank you all for inviting me, I said, but I think it's time for me to leave. And he said, well, why? I said, I can't give you all my recipes. I said, I'm the only one that does this down here, so I got the market sold up. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't give you all my recipes. Mm. But I really appreciate you inviting me. And I cooked there for two years, and we'd feed like 1,300, 1,400 people at night. Really? My goodness. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And then my buddy that I went with, he moved to Atlanta. And he kept wanting me to go to Atlanta. So I told my boss, I said, uh, Jim, I said, I need more money or I can't stay. He said, oh, I can't give you no more money. I said, okay, well, I'm giving you my two weeks' notice. So it was on a Thursday. Well, two weeks later, I had a little Fiat Yellow station wagon. I had everything I owned loaded in there. And I went in there. I said, I need my check, Jim. He said, well, payday's tomorrow. I said, well, you don't understand. My car's loaded up. I done turned my water off, everything, and I'm going to Atlanta. Well, you were serious. I said, yeah, I was serious. So he came back, he got my check, and he gave me an extra 500 on my check. And mm -hmm. he says, man, if you ever need a job, you let me know. And I went to work, and I had, uh, I call them uh, the whites to work in the kitchen. Well, I painted with one of my uncles around here, just on the side. So I got a job with a bunch of guys from over here painting. And then I got me an apartment, and then I learned how to hang vinyl side, and I do that at night in the afternoon when I get off. My rent was free. And then I ran across Robert Quasher, and he had the Atlanta Cajun Dance Association. Yes, indeed. And then uh, he said, well, would you mind if you want to come cook? We have three Cajun dances a, a month. I said, oh, yeah. So I'd go cook. And I'd invest $100, and I'd leave from there, and I had thirteen or $1,400 in my pocket. And there was no cost for the, the, the building or the pots and pans and nothing. All I'd do is bring the food. And then that's how I got started with my catering. 
And then I run across uh, Tony Bullfight, which is from Mamou, and he introduced me to a guy named Mick Kenny, which is a great fiddle player. And he's got some descendants, his sons, they all play music. As a matter of fact, one of them is at the Black Pot Festival right now in mm -hmm. Eunice. That's how we got started playing, and that's how my first band was formed. But I played with many, many musicians. I even played with Clifton Chenier one day. Really? In uh, Lake Charles at the... Uh, the Civic Center, they're having that festival over there on yeah. the water. And I was playing harmonica on the, on the ground, and he seen me playing. He said, come up here. And I went up there, and I played with him, and man, we tore it up. And then when I was 10 years old, I used to have a club called the Green Wing here in Eunice. Mm -hmm. And they played the blues on Sunday. And it was uh, Leo Thomas that oh, we played. The one and only, yeah. And he had a big black lady, and she was blind, and she'd play the bass. And I was sitting on the steps playing the harmonica, and she hollered. She said, whoever's playing that harmonica, come in here and play on the mic. So I went in there, and I was 10 years old, and I tore it up with them. Then I got on my bicycle. I rode back home. When I got home, my mama said, boy, you're in trouble. I said, I'm in trouble. Yeah, you've been in the club playing music. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you need to promise me you're never going to go in that club unless I'm with you. I said, okay, Mom, I promise you. She said, I'm not going to punish you, but I don't want you back in there. Well, needless to say, the next week, I went over there and I played on the step. When they asked me to come, I said, I'm not allowed to go in, but if you'll bring me the microphone. <laughs> so they brought me the microphone and I played on the steps. Wow. And then when I got home, she said, boy, I thought I told you not to be in that club. I said, Mom, I didn't go in the club. <laughs> I said, I was on the step. She said, hey, boy, she said, I can't stop you. She said, but at least you listened to me. You didn't go inside. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She said, so go ahead and do it if you want to do it. And then right after that, I went and played in Crowley at the Rice Festival, which we just passed this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had a contest. And it was on the boulevard. It looked like they had 10,000 people there. I got on that stage, and I was so nervous. I was so frightened. I won third place. And the next year I went, I was still scared. I went third place again. But it was a very good experience. And then after that, I could play in front of anybody, everybody, no, it don't matter where I'm at. And I promise you, I don't need a microphone to sing through. A couple of years ago, Todd and him was at the Black Pot Festival. Todd Ortego, mm -hmm. one of the good, good friends oh, I was. Yeah. It was a block and a half away, and he said he couldn't hear no music, but he could <laughs> hear my voice. And he said, I could hear you clear as day, and then she, I told Debbie, said, oh, Cos is here, that's him singing. And you couldn't hear no music at all, but you could hear him singing. And he told me that, and I said, well, God has been good. I said, I, I can belt him out now, I love it. And like you said, you learned from listening to Adam A. Bear and then the, made, made your own style. You see, you speak of God, how, how have you made it, Cos? Because people can almost say you, you've been dealt a bad hand. You had a lot of bad things happen in your well, life. You, you, know, you don't have your legs now. Somebody ran in, you, you lost the house in the fire, right? Yeah, uh, well, somebody ran into my house the night before Mardi Gras one year. Okay, I remember that, yeah. And he put $5,000 worth of damage, you know, I had paid 5000 for my house, wow, but wow. that's okay. I fixed it myself. Yeah. Then my house burned uh, Christmas Eve 12 years ago. It was a rough, rough morning, I'll tell you. Yeah. I woke up and I heard a crackling sound, and I was watching Passepartout in the morning, Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. 
And I opened my door, and when I did, my room just filled full of smoke. I oh. couldn't see nothing. I could still hear the TV, and I could see the flames blazing in my right next to my front door. And the back door, they had broken my house, so I had the door shut, nailed. So I couldn't get out the back. And when I got to the door, I tried to grab my keys on a little table, and I burned all my arm. So I finally got to the door, and when I opened the door, it was like a backdraft. It threw me back. Mm. And I have a cross that was hanging on the wall that was in my dad's coffin in 66, mm -hmm. a wooden cross, and it was just glowing on the wall. And I grabbed it and I put it against my heart and I took my shirt and pants and, and put it over my head and I ran through the fire, I asked God to please let me out of this old house. And Herman, I stood there and my house was burning I watched my truck catch on fire. I'm standing barefooted on the road, it's 22 degrees. And all of a sudden, this lady and a man, a man looked like he was kind of retarded. And they had a pair of tennis shoes with no strings, black man and a black lady. Mm -hmm. And they handed me them shoes, and I put them on, and when I turned around, they was gone. Never seen them before, never seen them again. Really? Three days later, I'm digging through the rubble in my house, see what I could maybe salvage. And I come across two angels. And my sister had gave me an angel playing the accordion. It was a little man and then a woman playing the harp, an angel. Well, don't you know them angels did not break? They turned pitch black. And I said, that was my two guardian angels that wow. came and saved me from that fire wow. and brought my tennis shoes. And there's a God. Yes, indeed. And that nobody knows what color there's a God, and they don't know what color angel going to come down. Yeah. We're all God's children. Yeah. And that's why I still do as well as I do, because I got angels watching over me. And you and you keep on going. And like you said, m music is part of that. You music know, after I lost this leg, yeah. I, I was at the hospital in Crowley. I seen this one lady pushing another lady in a wheelchair. I'm doing everything myself. And I'm feeling sorry for them ladies. Mm -hmm. When they get to this big old suburban, the chair comes out in the front. The lady gets out. She walked better than anybody I ever seen. <laughs> she got in that chair, raised it up. She got in there. The other woman, she went around. The door opened in the back. Arm come and grabbed the chair, put it in there. The door closed before she could get in the driver's side. They took off, mm -hmm. and I was feeling softer than two old ladies. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, that was God that was testing me. Keep on going, keep on doing. Well, you know, they wanted me to go to therapy when they cut this leg off. I mm -hmm. said, no, I, I didn't go to therapy for this one. Yeah. Well, Mr. Bono, you need to exercise that leg. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Just put me a radio on, and it's going to be plenty of exercise. Anytime I hear some music, my leg is like this. Even when I'm driving my car, that leg don't stop. So when you, don't, you don't tap your toes, you tap so, your, so your leg. So in two weeks, when I'm going to get my leg, it ain't going to be no problem for me to walk. Because yeah. I'm going to have a matching pair again. All right. Now go ahead. Go yeah. Ahead. I tell a joke all the time. I say one of my buddies called me and he says, Hey, man, I heard your car was broke. I said, No, my car's all right. Well, I heard you was on foot. I said, how can I be on foot? I ain't got no feet. <laughs> yes, he said, oh, you. Then <laughs> I told my sister, I said, uh, I'm going to get two little legs made, and I'm going to be five foot instead of six five. <laughs> she said, you're not going to do that, brother. I said, no, I ain't going to do that, girl. 
I said, but they told me I could, you know, if I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I said, but moms would drag the the ground. I said, I got forty inch sleeve lift. Cause you're a big man. That, yeah. That, that, what six five, six six? I'm six then? five, and uh, the most I ever weighed was two hundred ninety eight pounds. Wow, it could be a wrestler. And almost. now I weigh one hundred and sixty four pounds. Big difference. But that's without my legs. Yeah. yeah. Once I get my legs, I probably weigh one seventy five. It's about five pounds a piece. Yeah. But my shoes that I have on there, is, I get me some new shoes. I got some boots in there. Yeah. But I had to have that because I had an insert. I had a half a foot for 10 years on the right until I finally had to amputate it. And my left foot, I went through, God, 42 surgeries. Whoa. I even had maggot therapy done. Mm. They put 970 maggots in my foot. Wow. And they, you couldn't hardly see them. And they grew, and they busted loose one day, and I was in the hospital. And I called a nurse. I said, you'll need to come in here. I said, they got maggots all over my bed. She said, oh, you're hallucinating. I said, well, come hallucinate with me. <laughs> so she came in there and said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I said, give me that wheelchair and get me out of the bed. Yeah, but what am I going to do with this? I said, you see that red can over there that says contaminated? She says, yeah. I said, roll that up and put it in there. Oh, I never thought of that. She was a nervous wreck. Yeah, and yeah. it didn't bother me, you know, because yeah. I'd been through it all. I surprised the uh, marks I on him a while back. I had... I got up and I'm, I jitterbugged with this good-looking woman. And I done pretty good till I wanted to chew off a little bit too much. I went to spin around and said, oh, I need three legs. You know, <laughs> I just spin them around yeah, and you yeah, spin around. Yeah. But I finally made it around. And we was about halfway through and she said, Mr. Cause, if you're tired, she says, uh, we could stop, you know. I said, oh, no, baby. I said, I'm out here showing off and I'm having fun. I said, I got the best-looking girl in the place. <laughs> I said, you think I'm going to stop in the middle? And I said, I don't know. I said, I want to really impress the people. Mm, yeah, yeah. And boy, it was even the, the Mark Savo and his band, they were all clapping because I was out there dancing. Yeah, yeah. That was at the Balfa camp. Well, Cos, thank you so much. This has been great. You, uh, before we started talking, you mentioned about you've worked with Kyle Huval and young musicians, and you got fans all, and well, other musicians all over the I world. Have one what, more thing. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I'm making a little money today, mm -hmm. and I'm blessed. Well, I'm going to make me a new CD. And I've been playing all this, and I've been asking God to give me a way to be able to make another CD before I pass. And I've been wanting to do a CD with children. And uh, I want to be the cover. I want it to be a covered wagon with me sitting there and all the kids around me. That's, and all I'm going to do is play the harmonica and sing, and I'm going to let them kids play. And I got seven or eight of them lined up. And I'm going to do a recording, and I'm gonna, it's going to be like um, after 60 years, I'm passing the reins on to our youth. I want to do that to showcase these kids, because if they don't do it, we, our music's going to die. And... I've been playing too long since I was a kid, and people gave me chances and called me up on stage. I probably played with every dang-gone Cajun band and uh, quite a few Zodico bands, mm -hmm. and I've always participated in my music and my culture and my food. Yeah. I've even played, and Justin Wilson was cooking in Atlanta, <laughs> and I brought a great big old bread pudding and everybody tore my bread pudding up. <laughs> and they looked at him like, well, who is this? Because this guy plays music and he cooks too. 
So I came back and was Mary Curtis Jobert, which is the mm -hmm. one that got this liberty started. Oh, yeah. and he done a whole lot for the city. Mm -hmm. Well, he says, we need to name you the ambassador to our culture. He said, because I heard about you when you was at Atlanta. You showed down Justin Wilson because he was a great <laughs> performer. And you, your food was better than his. Yeah. And I said, no. He said, oh, yeah, I had a lot of people call me and told me about you. And then another thing, I had to judge. She was uh, Judge Futch, Lynette Futch. Mm -hmm. Well, I was playing at a winery in, in Atlanta, right outside Atlanta. And she shows up, her and her husband, and they sign the registry, and the lady tells them, well, we have a real Cajun, authentic Cajun band playing. And she said, well, tell me their name, and I'm going to tell you if they're authentic or not. <laughs> and the lady said, cool, Scott, cool, God's fun, though. She said, oh, yeah, you got that. You can't get any more authentic than him. She said, that's my cousin. <laughs> got the real deal. Then. Yeah, so... <laughs> And I played the 96 Olympics at the Coca-Cola Amphitheater. Uh, mm -hmm. I played uh, all of the East Coast, uh, but I've never been out the South in my life. Mm, okay. I'm a true Southern guy, yes, and I don't are. care if I don't ever go anywhere else. I, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see other places, but I'm too sick to try and travel now. Mm -hmm. So I get to enjoy it on TV. And everybody I meet at Savoy's, they ask me, are you the owner? Mm. And I said, no. Well, you sure are nice. You greet everybody. And I said, well, that's just my nature. I love people. And uh, even Wilson asked me, he says, Mr. Goss, why you don't go sit by the accordion player? I said, well, the first place, I can't slip out the door easy and go smoke. I still smoke. <laughs> and I said, another thing, I greet the people, and they love my singing, so I'll have access to greet them, and I sell my CDs that way. Mm. I said, if I was sitting by the accordion player, I couldn't sell no <laughs> CDs. I couldn't greet nobody. Yeah. And I said, I'm blessed that your mother and father lets me do that. He said, well, most of the time you ain't got no other singer because all the other singers have died off. So it would be crazy to tell you something, Mr. Cause. I said, no. I said, used to, I would go outside and sell them. And then your dad told me, no, you don't have to do that. You're welcome to sell them in here. I'm, I'm very blessed because yes, all the musicians, they really love me and they treat yeah. me well. Yeah. Yeah. And the general public, too. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I think I'm more out, known out, out, of, out of state than I am in the state. Yeah, it works for a lot of musicians. But I'm thinking like go play some music in a little while. Okay. So we're going to wrap this up, and I want to... Bless the guy that made this happen. Yeah, Nick from Boston. Yeah. Nick from Boston. Okay, buddy. And uh, hope to see you soon. And, buddy, bless on, you too, Herman. On behalf of all your fans and friends, thanks for all you've done, Cars. And, and uh, I, all, hope, all I hope the doctor's all wrong because they gave me 48 hours to live six months ago, going on seven months. I've done I had a hernia surgery and a leg amputated and I feel better than I felt in the last ten years. Go ahead. I Go really ahead. do. Go ahead. I feel great. Well Cos Fontenot, thank you so much, my okay, friend. Okay, buddy. Thanks to Cos Fontenot for visiting with us on Cajun and Creole Talk. Executive producer is Nick Poulos. If you'd like to help in this effort, visit the website CajunandCreoleTalk.com or follow us on Facebook. You can drop us a line at Cajun and Creole Talk. P.O. Box 653, Opelousas, Louisiana, 70570. I'm Hermit Fuselay. Bien merci pour écouter et soyez-vous-en. Thanks for listening and take care.